We're previewing Western Virginia. Melissa sits down with Smoking Musket to talk about the Horn Frogs and the Mountaineers taking each other on this Saturday. Plus, I tell you the Western Virginia origin story. We talk TV ratings, three games that I'm watching, and the weekly mailbag. All right now on Frogs Insider. Let's cue that intro music. Welcome into the Frogs Insider Podcast. Jamie Plunkett here, your midweek host for the show. Melissa Trebowasser will be along shortly. She's sitting down with folks from the Smoking Musket, the West Virginia SB Nation blog, to preview TCU's game against West Virginia this week. But you might know them as a different name lately. That's Western Virginia. And I'm going to get into why... We call them Western Virginia, or at least why I call them Western Virginia here in just a minute. Before we do that, though, thank you, thank you, thank you to our incredible sponsors of the show, Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods and Homefield Apparel. Very thankful for partnerships with both of those excellent organizations. Check them out, hellshalfacresg.com and homefieldapparel.com. They have you covered from shirts and polos, hoodies and t-shirts, joggers, if you're interested in that sort of thing. And of course, Hell's Half Acre has some incredible tailgating necessities as well. Plus, the Hell's Half Lager that goes to the Flying Tea Club Association supporting TCU student-athletes, thanks to them so much. We are, as you probably know, part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Network. You can find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts by searching the Republic of Football Network. You can also find it by searching for Frogs Insider, and there are two feeds to choose from. One that's just our show, if you're just looking for our show, and one that is the entire Republic of Football Network, which includes guys like the Gambling Gauchos, Between Two Bears, State of Dallas, uh, a lot of uh, podcasts, one, in fact, for each of the D1 football programs in the state of Texas. Very excited to be a part of that network. Thankful for Dave Campbell's Texas Football for bringing us on board as the TCU podcast in that network. Very excited to to work alongside those folks. Uh, Some some very, very good people over at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. So let's jump in here. Uh, I'm excited about this midweek episode. I love playing West Virginia. I think there's a soft spot in my heart for the Mountaineers simply because TCU and West Virginia entered the conference at the same time and there's this kind of inherent newness to uh to being in the big 12 alongside west virginia and uh that's why i love the banter between the two schools so much is that i i feel like and i think someone said this on the board this week as well there's like a there's a level or a lack of animosity towards one another and it really is just genuine fun lighthearted ribbing of one another which is why something like west virginia plays so well western virginia plays so well it's why uh you know it's it's easy for them to to rib tcu fans about you know tcu being located in dallas and those sorts of things it's, it never seems to go beyond that kind of stuff which i really enjoy in the midst of you know the level at which TCU and Texas Tech fans go back and forth, or TCU and Baylor fans, or just like this past week, TCU and SMU fans go back and forth. It's a nice kind of refreshing banter rather than an in-the-weeds, genuine hate kind of situation. So, um, But I, I do want to spend a moment here because I think we're far enough away from it at this point for a refresher to talk a little bit about the Western Virginia origin story because that started when we were still over at Frogs of War. Um, 
Melissa and I and our, our incredible staff that we had over there at that time uh, in 2017 uh, was watching a football game one Sunday, an NFL game, and um, uh, the Eagles were playing. I can't remember who they were playing, but there was a moment where an Eagles safety made, made a play and, and the camera panned over to him. It was Razul Douglas. Now, if you remember Razul Douglas, you know that he's a West Virginia alum. And so they put the lower third up on the screen while they're cameras on him and they're talking about him on the broadcast and it gives his name his weight his height you know all this kind of standard stuff and then it says university western virginia university on the lower third and i thought that that was really funny sent it in the in the group slack and our one of our uh, staffers at the time her name's megan thompson i think she's doing socials for nascar now uh absolute social media rock star megan thompson uh former swimming and diving uh uh, person at TCU, Megan Thompson, incredible human, um, suggested that we call West Virginia, Western Virginia leading into that game. This just happened to be two weeks prior to TCU and West Virginia playing. TCU had a bye week leading into that game, and we knew that game day was coming to that game, so it was going to be a national thing. And so um, we had this conversation in the, in the Frogs War Slack about, all right, we're going to refer to West Virginia as Western Virginia for the next two weeks. We're, we're not going to mention that we're doing a bit. We're not going to give any kind of hint that we're making jokes or anything like that. We're just in everything that we do from our previews to our podcasts to our uh, like matchups to watch and, and game time and everything. Everything that we did that had to do with this game, we're going to call them Western Virginia. Um, there's a thing on SB Nation. I don't know if it still exists, but it did at the time. It was called a tip line where you could send a tip to a team site and it would just go to whatever email account was associated with that site. And at the time, it was my Gmail account that was associated with Frogs of War because I was the managing editor for the site. And so we do this for a couple of days and I start to get emails trickling in through the tip line, which to that point, and I had been in charge of the site for like a little over three years at this point. And I think I had maybe gotten two or three emails on this tip line in two or th- in, in like a little over three years. I start to get some emails from West Virginia fans that are like, hey, it's West Virginia, not Western Virginia. Um, we were... Uh, we became a state in 1862. You can look it up. Uh, go take a geography class. And they, they get more and more condescending and more and more rude, frankly. Um, I ended up getting hundreds of these kinds of emails, calling me a moron, telling me to go back to school, saying that I was an embarrassment, that I should apologize. Um, for two weeks, hundreds of emails from West Virginia fans who were very upset about being called Western Virginia. Um, so I started taking screenshots of them sending them to the staff. We laughed about them a whole bunch. Uh, we tweeted out a couple of the screenshots as well after the fact. Megan did this really cool um, recap of the whole situation. I'm going to try and dig up that link um, after, uh, after the, maybe I'll, I'll tweet it out this week. Uh, she did a great recap of the bit. And um, another staffer, Deanna Rust, uh, made a huge sign for game day that was a Western Virginia bingo board that had like all of the insults that were thrown at us over the course of those two weeks. Um, literally hundreds, though, of emails. I tweeted out a couple earlier this week as well. Um, and I just loved that we did this as a bit 
and thought it was really funny to us. And that's kind of why we did it. And to this day, TCU fans still think it's a funny bit um, and still continue to call them Western Virginia. And it's one of those things that you know doesn't really truly bother them, but it bothers them just enough that they have to say something about it or they have to respond to a tweet or they have to like text you about it. Um, it's the perfect kind of lighthearted ribbing that that represents, I think, the, the TCU and West Virginia fan bases when they interact. Um, so shout out to, to Megan and Deanna and, and Melissa and, and the rest of that Frogs War staff for going along with the bit because it was so much fun and I think has made uh, this kind of faux rivalry with West Virginia just uh, a funny thing to, to encounter every single year. And I'm super pumped that people liked it enough to, to keep doing it. Um, it's, it's just a fun, fun little thing that, that has taken on a life of its own now and, and is really cool to see. So that's, the, that's kind of the origin story of, of Western Virginia there. It's just a funny, funny little bit. But I want to dive into something now that is uh, not like more serious necessarily, but just a, a, a kind of a, a level of hypocrisy that I'm seeing that, that is a little bit annoying at this point um, and just needs to be named, I think. So I posted... Uh, on Twitter this week about the TCU SMU TV ratings. I got a 0.15 in the ratings, like 260,000 people watched. Um, I decided to go back and just see kind of where the, where that stacked up with previous iron skillet games. I think I went six years back or six matchups back. Uh, and there was only one time where the matchup garnered a viewership of over a million viewers, um, which is a decent, viewership but everything else was like 400,000 or less uh there was one game I think in that in that stack of games that didn't even register like a viewership at all um and so those numbers that TCU and SMU got this year uh weren't unique to the rivalry and uh, at least this year's game wasn't due to competing with matchups that were any better than what TCU had gone up against in its previous televised games this year, right? TCU Colorado went up against some other big time national games. TCU Houston went up against a bunch of brands that are so, so-called bigger brands than TCU and Houston. And it held its own. It out, it outrated uh, BYU Arkansas, for instance, was competitive with that game and drew in a, a slightly larger viewership um, than those two schools that have absolutely massive fan bases. Um, but before the Iron Skillet game, the news, uh, the kind of the national storyline was, you know, the fact that TCU is pausing the series. And uh, it makes sense that that was part of the storyline. But what bothered me a little bit in retrospect is the fact that a lot of folks in the national media were criticizing TCU for pausing this series and then not watching the game. Um, it's interesting to me because it reminds me a lot of like, like, uh, the best way that I can describe it, I've been thinking about it, is like, you know you know that plastic crate that everybody has in their house that has a bunch of shit in it that you've like never bothered to like open up and clean through, but it's the crate that's like made its way through two or three, four different moves at this point. And it always just kind of like comes out of the garage or comes out of the storage closet and makes its way onto the moving truck. And then it comes back out and it goes right back into a, uh, the garage or right back into another closet. And you never really take the time to like go through it and see all the stuff that's in there. Or maybe you open it once every two moves and you're like, oh yeah, I'll hang on to this stuff for now. 
and you kind of just throw it and forget about it afterwards. That's kind of how national media folks are treating the iron skillet right now is it was popular to talk about ahead of time for a week because they all kind of pulled it out of the closet and looked at it and, Oh, I forgot that that was in there. Right. Being like, Oh, TCU's pausing this series. Oh, that's interesting. And then they closed it back up and they put it back in the closet and they're not going to talk about it again until either TCU finds a way out of the next two years worth of games or next year's game comes around and happens over in Dallas. Um, And, it, it's striking to me because it seems like folks in who have a platform to talk about this stuff have made the personal decision that it's not worth their time to watch, but they feel like it still holds a level of tradition and sentimentality that other people have to watch, right? You have to endure this thing that I am no longer willing to endure because it used to mean a lot more than it means right now. Uh, and it, it's just a weird kind of hypocrisy that is a little bit frustrating because why should TCU continue to have to play in a game that doesn't get watched, right? We have data for years and years now that this game is not a game that is watched. We have data for years and years now that when the game happens in Dallas, it's not even well attended. Right, TCU fans outnumber SMU fans in their stadium every time that game happens in Dallas, uh, and and there was an incredibly good fan base in Fort Worth in attendance for that game on Saturday. It was the second highest recorded attendance in TCU stadium history with fifty one, a little over fifty one thousand people. Right, so TCU fans showed up in droves in person for this game, but it was not a game that on a national level was worth anybody else's time. And as you think about how TCU is trying to position themselves as a bigger brand in college football and as they're trying to emulate the things that other proven big brands in college football do, like Ohio State, Bama, Texas to a degree, although they travel on the road pretty pretty regularly for non-conference games, which I actually respect about UT a lot, um, TCU is trying to have more home games. They're trying to field a better home product for their fans. And when you look at what's coming up in 2024, there's the possibility that TCU only has five home games next season. And that's unbelievably bad for TCU's fan base. That's not fair to TCU's fans for the price that they pay for tickets in that stadium to only have five home games. It's just not. And so I commend the athletic department at TCU and the leadership for trying to do something that's difficult to do. Uh, and is for some reason an unpopular thing to do. Um, and, and I know that a lot of it goes back to the debate around TV and TV ratings and what's the driving force behind college football these days and that uh, there is this sense of grief or loss or lament around the fact that TV and TV ratings have such a kind of chokehold on the sport right now. Um, and and I'm I'm cool with lamenting that, right? Like it is it is disappointing to an extent to see some rivalries go away, um, and right, not but but and, I think it's also pretty lame to criticize schools who are just trying to survive and play the game the way that it's being demanded they play it at this point, right? Like you can say. I'm bummed that the iron skillet is going away, but I can understand why the iron skillet is going away. But that's not really 
what people at the national level were saying uh, about TCU. Um, and, and I'll say this, I'll, I listened to a good half dozen, maybe a little bit more uh, national podcasts every week. I make them my, my regular kind of my routine every week to listen to these national media folks. Cause I think it's important to understand what they're saying, especially when it comes to TCU helps me provide you guys better context context when I'm reporting on the university. Um, only one of the shows that I regularly listen to even mentioned the TCU SMU score this week in their recaps. Every single one criticized TCU for canceling the series. And that tells you what they really think about the game and what they really try to do with their platforms every single week. Because I, and look, I listen to these folks and I understand going into it that they're playing a ratings game too, right? Spend as much time as you want on Florida State and Clemson, Notre Dame and Ohio State. I get it, right? You're playing the ratings game on your own show. You know what's going to get you downloads, what's going to get people to engage with your content. And it's when you talk about the bigger national brands. But just, it's a little hypocritical in my opinion for people to play that game and then jump up and down on a school that's also trying to do the same thing, right? You, you don't want ratings to fully dictate content. And yet you're doing that because it makes you more money, right? You get more subscribers when you're appealing to the larger fan bases. You get more subscribers when you're talking about those schools more, the big brand schools more. It's just part of the algorithm at this point. It's why TV contracts have had such control over conference realignment because it makes those schools more money just like it makes national media folks more money on their shows to talk about those programs. And then you're going to jump up and down on TCU for trying to play the game the same way you're playing the game. I just don't get it. Maybe I'm missing something. And again, I understand that it's disappointing to lose rivalries. And I'll probably feel differently if TCU and Baylor ever, ever stop playing each other. But for now, it just feels like a lot of national folks are jumping up and down on TCU for trying to play the game the same way that everyone else is trying to play the game in the same way that national media folks are even trying to play the game with the ratings of their own shows. And it's just a little disappointing to see. But that's enough of my soapbox. Plenty of my soapbox there. We have a game to talk about. Melissa sat down with the smoking musket to check out this TCU West Virginia game. Let's jump right into that preview now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another midweek edition of the Frogs Insider podcast. I am Melissa Trebowasser here to preview TCU's game against the West Virginia Mountaineers this Saturday night. It's going to be a blackout in the Carter. Great defense rolling into town and a surprising three and one West Virginia team in order to get the scoop on the Mountaineers and find out what exact temperature Neil Brown's seat is currently at. We are touching base with Andrew, Andy, Meyer of the Smoking Musket, Stats Boy Andy on Twitter. Uh, Andy, if you can hear me, I know we've got he's he's calling in from a from a controlled burn fire. So not not in the middle of the fire, <laughs> but controlled burn fire is also what we call this part of the college football season. So we're just hoping for the best tonight. I would actually also describe what for as that way um but yeah uh that's how i would describe neil brown's seat actually is a controlled bird controlled bird fire 
you know, well, let's just start right there with Neil Brown. Um, you know, I think West Virginia fans rightfully have been frustrated with the way the last few seasons have gone. This is a program that, um, you know, has experienced a lot of really great seasons, some double digit win seasons and look competitive. And since Neil Brown took over, that really has not been the case for the most part. Is a three and one start a sign of a turnaround happening in Morgantown? Or is it more of a disappointment and that you guys are going to have to suffer another season, Neil Brown? I think I would like to believe. I would love to believe that you know he, he that he'll figure something out. But I I do not I haven't seen in the the four games we have played I have seen zero evidence that he has adjusted that he has changed anything that he was doing that got us to this point. Like the Texas Tech game, that was a great win for him. He had never won three in a row, which is kind of depressing wow. to say out loud. That's, yeah. I'm yeah. so sorry. Yeah. In five years, he had never won three games in a row and he had never beaten Texas Tech. And so he finally got the, both those monkeys off his back, but somehow I felt like almost disappointed by the win because of the way that, like, in the fourth quarter, you know, he was real conservative with the play calling after he got a lead. It felt like he thought that he could win with with like 17 points or something and he like holds on to this lead and they you know texas tech finally breaks through on offenses and scores and he, he opened the office up and marched right down the field and we scored like okay and then it's the ball back and they throw they throw three times with four minutes remaining and you're only up seven and you're you have not thrown the ball well all day and you've got C.J. Donaldson in the backfield, who doesn't even get a touch in the fourth quarter. So I'm 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 constantly baffled by Neil Brown's personnel decisions and his play calling. That that's not changed. So it's hard for me to like say. I think the, the thing that I can the the silver lining is the defense is much further ahead of schedule. I think than any of us imagined, particularly the front seven, which a uh, really good front seven is a uh, questionable at best secondary's best friend right mm. uh so yeah i feel like you know i don't think that he needs to beat tcu i don't think this is a must win by any stretch of of an imagination but i do feel that that the next three games are going to probably decide what happens but you know there's a bigger question about like let's all be honest the big 12 kind of kind of stinky yeah right it's not it's not what it has been the last couple years and our schedule in particular, we miss both Kansas and Kansas State and Texas. What does he need to know the hole for which you know he needs to get to stay around? And I don't know. Part of me, part of me wants to eight or nine. Daniel Brown goes to Indiana. <laughs> Small part of me wants a Scott Satterfield situation where just you know what? I'm gonna go someplace else. It's gonna work out best for everybody. Um, uh, let's start with the with the with the good side of the ball for West Virginia. I and mean, you mentioned the defense, and it has been really really solid. They've already played three Power Five opponents, and they're still holding um, opposing offenses under 19 points a game, which is which is pretty solid. They're able to fatten up a little bit in, the, in part of their schedule, but 
Um, overall, that defense has definitely shown that it can be one of the one of the you know top half units in the Big Twelve at the very least. Uh, you talked about the pass rush and how they've been able to put a lot of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. How have they been effective in that regard? And then how important has that been to kind of make up for a secondary that you mentioned has been a little bit shaky to start the season? Yeah, so I think just really getting after the quarterback has helped the secondary because they're forcing guys to just make make bad throws, quite honestly. And so I think that that has helped because the secondary coverage has been baffling at times. Um, although I think the secondary has also helped itself and helped the front seven. Um, they made some changes after supposedly they were going they, they made these changes after Penn State and didn't roll them out against Duquesne because they didn't want it to get film. (laughs) I I don't know if that's true or not. But you did see against Pitt um, and against Texas Tech that that we typically used to play a lot of soft zone coverage, and that that was not what they were playing. A lot against um, Tech and Pitt, they played a lot more, you know, tighter man coverage. And I think that helped the secondary. But I really just think it's it's the, the development of the, you know, the front seven has just really came along a lot faster. They, they're they pretty deep, actually, at, at, on the front, on the D-line, which we're not typically, have not been. And I think that you're just seeing them being able to get guys, you know, and they're bringing five and six guys. They're, they're not being, you know, overly cautious. I think that's really helped a lot. Now, again, how much of that, you know, I don't, Pitt typically has a pretty good offensive line. Um you know, they were able to actually get to uh, get to get to you know get to the quarterback against Penn State, and they have an excellent defensive yeah. or offensive line. Um, so you know, I'm curious to see what we what we get against TCU. Uh, but I think that that secondary that 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 front seven has really came along, and they're really ahead of schedule in a way that I thought they might be maybe like they at the end of the season. Our defense last year was actually playing a lot better uh granted it was against uh the corpse of oklahoma state and oklahoma but yeah they were they were playing better so i'm curious to see i i think it also helps that we're just not going to see a lot of really high-powered offenses this year because there's just not that many high-powered offenses in the big 12 or at least on our side of the schedule so well you oh go ahead yeah, I was going to say, so you, so you say that, and and I mean, I think there's still a lot of question marks about TCU's offense overall, especially when it comes to the red zone and the execution there. They are one of the worst teams in the country um, in red zone scoring percentage, but they have put up a ton of yards and they put up a ton of points in their, you know, their first four games of the season. So when you, when you talk about, you know, they haven't, other than Penn State, which obviously is one of the, you know, it's, it's proven itself so far this year to be one of the best teams in the country, uh, we haven't seen West Virginia really tested. So what are you kind of expecting this defense to do against Chandler Morris, Amani Bailey and the TCU offense? Um, and, and specifically, do they have a good matchup before we talk about your tight end? Do they have a good matchup defensively for Jared Wiley, who's TCU's leading receiver through the first four games of the season? I don't think I'll answer that last question first. And I don't think they necessarily do. And that, that worries me. And a tight end has been like the bane of WBU's <laughs> existence for, I think the entire time I have been alive as a human. Um, but I, I think what I'm, what I'm hoping to see, and I will say, I think TCU is probably other than maybe Penn state and they may, you might actually have like more. I think what you do offensively is more dangerous to our defense than what Penn state was doing. 
But I, I think in a lot of ways, this is a big test for, for this unit. I think if they're, if WD is going to have success, it's going to be because we're able to actually get to, to the quarterback and put him under pressure. Um, and I don't, I don't, I'll admit that I've not watched a ton of TCU tape, but I feel like, you know, if you can get to get to it, what I saw from the Colorado game was that there was, and what I kind of know of Art Briles offense or not Art, uh, Kendall, uh, Kendall is that if you can, if you can disrupt the off, if you could, it's a timing and flow system. Mm -hmm. And if you can disrupt that and make that difficult, you can cause problems. So I think like that's what I want to see is can they get to the quarterback? Can they force hurries? They've been able to do that against everybody so far uh, to varying degrees of success. And when they do is, you know, even if they get to him, is the secondary able to, you know, limit big plays? Like, are we giving up a ton of big plays or maybe just one here and there? I think that's got to be the thing. And that tight end thing scares the, tight end scares the crap out yeah. of me. So I think that's going to be interesting because I'm just like, Lee Copa is really good, but not really like a cover, a tight end kind of linebacker guy. And I think we actually call him a, a, I forget in the current nomenclature, he's like a spur. We run a, we run a three, three, five, but it's often also like a, not that different from like a four, two, five. Like sometimes it's a kind of a nickel looking operation. So yeah, you know, so I think that's that's interesting. It's going to be interesting to me. Yeah, you know, and I think it, the 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 controlled pressure is going to be interesting because you know West Virginia, um, you know, has, has been like you said effective in spots, but still have just seven sacks, fourteen quarterback hurries on the season. TCU shockingly is leading the Big Twelve Conference in sacks against or sacks by with sixteen, which is a number that makes no sense to anyone that's been watching TCU football so far this year um, because of how much they've struggled on the defensive front to get to the quarterback. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing that changed between week one in Colorado and and where Chandler Morris is playing now is that he's been looking to run a lot more than he did in that Colorado game, especially on third down. And he's been converting and moving the change with his feet. How do you think that West Virginia three, three, five can do in containing a quarterback that has been really effective with his legs? I mean, he's not Max Duggan by any stretch of the imagination, but he he was really good against Houston, especially in being able to move the chains on third and medium, third and long by by taking off and getting out of the pocket and running. Yeah, we've been we've been pretty solid tackling too. I think the the I think tackle wise, I think we're it's us in Cincinnati hmm. as far as like not like fewest missed tackles, which I think is is important to that kind of scramble situation. For sure. Yeah. That's but that's another thing I'm really looking at. We have not really played anyone with what you would call a mobile quarterback threat at this point. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to see how that how that goes. And again, I think a weakness of the secondary is like if if he gets, you know, if things get a little if he, you know, gets pressured and starts running, will they be able to like force him down? Because we've seen We've seen WV cornerbacks take some pretty atrocious pursuit angles, quite honestly. So I it's it's I think that's another thing for uh, for for folks to keep an eye on is like how well does WVU contain a quarterback who maybe wants to move a little bit more than what they have seen? Because like I said, we really have not had you know, I think the longest run by a quarterback is probably uh, uh probably was in the pick game. And that was pretty early on in that game. 
and it just that that went sideways offensively for them for yeah. other reasons but so many so many reasons um let's flip it over to the other side of the ball where the big 12's worst passing defense tcu takes on the big 12's worst passing offense in west virginia which dam is going to break first here? Um, you know, the, the Mountaineers obviously um, have have really struggled throwing the ball, uh, no matter what quarterback has been out there. Um, it looks like maybe Nico Marichal has a little something going. Um, Garrett Green, we've seen him in spots be good. Which quarterback is going to play on Saturday? I know there's some health issues there. And will they be able to take advantage of a TCU secondary that, um, has made some big plays, has a ton of interceptions, but also is kind of getting torched occasionally, um, especially in the middle of the field. Yeah, well, so I think that I'm not sure who the quarterback is going to be, and I'm glad that I'm not the one having <laughs> to make that decision. I think I think Neil has shown that he doesn't entirely trust either of them, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know if Neil Brown ever has trusted a quarterback in his entire life. Uh, so I'm, I, I, but I think that they bring very different kind of things to the table and depending on who they are really is going to determine what you see out of the offense. I think, uh, I think Nico can make some big plays. Um, I think if they can target, uh, Cole and get, get him some, some targets and get, you know, get across the middle that they can, they could do some damage. I'm just not convinced that Neil thinks that way. Mm. Like his offense is really not set up to like run crossing routes across the middle. It just doesn't, it's a lot of screens and there's not a deep threat or there hasn't been. Um, It's, and I'll be perfectly honest, this might be the worst wide receiver room that we've had in a very long time. Like the best two wide receivers are walk-alongs right Mm. now. Like we're started the season as walk-ons, and that's just—I don't know. This is part of that thing that I was talking about earlier, though. Is like I just Neil Brown's offense is so baffling to me because he wants to run like these air raid concepts, but it's not—it's not an air raid. It's just not. So, I think if I were TCU, I would not be overly concerned about West Virginia's run passing offense. To be quite honest, because I just think that. I just don't think that, that that other than Cole and uh, Hudson Clement, any of the people who he could throw the ball that either, you know, could throw a ball to, you know, either Nico or um, uh, or Garrett would throw a ball to, are going to come off as as dangerous. Like there's just not a whole lot of danger there. So you know, I'd like to think that they'll get Cole the ball across the middle you run some stuff to him because he's, you know, he transferred from LSU. I think everyone sees that he's, he's definitely got NFL talent, caliber talent as a tight end. Um, so yeah, I, again, I think that's a big thing to see to me. Can Neil understand that? Hey, here's a defense who's really struggled across the middle. Let's attack that. Or is he going to just continue to be stubborn and, you know, it ends up in, in some sort of awful slugfest, which, you know, if he, he wants to win ugly. Like, I think at this point he has embraced winning ugly. Um, I just don't know if we're good enough to get away with that often enough in this conference. Because, again, I think TCU, you know, I watched TCU versus Colorado. Uh, 
I thought you all could have and should have won that game. Oh, un- um, unquestionably. Yeah, so did, so did all of us, I, tr- I promise. <laughs> uh, I watched a little bit of, of the SMU game, not a whole, whole lot. Thought, you know, didn't, you know. So I, I, I to that spe- question, I didn't see things that made, even in that Colorado game, I didn't see stuff that, that Colorado was doing that I thought we would do as far as giving you problems on, on the, in the secondary. Because I just don't, think that's what Neil wants to do with the offense well Joe Gillespie kind of you know wanting to make West Virginia one-dimensional the the thing you would probably want to take away from the Mountaineers is the running game and for TCU that's something they've been really successful at shockingly somehow this season um one of the best rush defenses in the Big 12 one of a, a very strong unit when you look at the the uh, stats across the country allowing just 85 yards per game on the ground um, and 2.4 yards per rush this is a team that even in closer games has really managed to keep other teams from moving the chains um, on the ground. West Virginia has a, has a very talented running back in CJ Donaldson jr. Um, You know, he's, he's already um, almost 300 yards on the season, averaging over four and a half um, per attempt and three touchdowns along of just 17 and just about 72 yards per game. Um, How effective can he be against this, this front of TCU that's been really great in that area and how much of his kind of, um, how much has he been held back by West Virginia's inability to move the ball through the air and defense is just keying on what he can do? I think I think that is a thing. I think they've also been, I think they have tried to manage his touches mm-hmm. um, because actually the two strengths of this offense is a very good offensive line, particularly the right side of, of it is really, really good. Um, Zach Frazier, the center is, is, He's gonna, he's gonna make a lot of money in the NFL, yeah. um, and then the running back room is actually pretty deep. Like that has been a, a definite, um, some nice surprise is that there are other guys who can carry the load for him, and so I, I, I think that like, again, the success for WVU is going to be able to establish a run, um, you know, and and try and go at them. To be fair, I don't know if, you know, Colorado doesn't really have a run game to speak of. Um, and I don't know how much SMU was trying to establish the run either, to be, you know, quite honest. I think we'll probably have the best offensive line that you will have faced yeah, at this point all season. Um, and so it's really to me is, is does does TCU just, you know, stack the box and, and dare us to throw? I think they, they probably will. I know I would. And I don't, that's the question is, can they get, I don't think 20 points cuts it against TCU because I don't think our defense is going to be able to hold you guys to, to under 20 points. I just, I can't see that. So I think that's really the question. I think CJ definitely can. The thing about CJ is, is he's only been a running back for seven, eight games, mm. you know, because he went out last year with an injury. Um, and he didn't come in as a running back. You know, he didn't play running back in high school. I really didn't play a lot of college, a lot of football in high school either. He was recruited as a tight end. But when you see him move, you would think that he has been a running back his whole life. Hmm. Like he just has like that vision and patience that you see from really elite running backs. And he's a big boy. He's like 245 pounds. So, you know, I think if they can get CJ going, and then with the other kind of running backs that are in the system and Neil can avoid doing dumb things, 
they can establish the run and then maybe get some play action, you know, get some, you know, get some of those things that they want to do. But I think that's going to be, again, I think that's, to me, that's as, that's the same place as can the defensive line, you know, do its thing. You know, can Zach Frazier and, and his crew open some holes for CJ and, and the other guys? Um, and can they, you know, because the thing WVU is going to do, they're going to shorten the game. It's a little bit like the, the, the old Kansas State, you know, Bill Snyder theory of the case where you, you just try and, you know, kill that clock as much as possible. So I think that's going to be interesting to see. And it's a real, it was a problem for Texas Tech for most of that game too, you know, because Texas Tech wants to play really fast mm-hmm. and their defense was on the field a lot. And I really thought that we would do better later in the second quarter, second half against them. But also the weather in Morgantown for that Texas Tech game was atrocious. So, which I think also affected the the, the pass game. Yeah. Like the whole first half of that game was like a, a downpour. So, you know, really other than the Penn State game, we haven't had a game where the weather wasn't a factor in what? some way or the other. I'd imagine the weather won't be a factor too much. So you get an evening game late September in Texas. Um, I think the forecast is clear at this point. But one thing we do know when these two teams match up is weird things tend to happen. And so, yeah, it looks like it's going to be sunny in 95 on Saturday. So probably a balmy 80, 88 degrees by the time kickoff hits. But you could kind of throw out the predictions and the expectations when these two teams meet over the years. They've played some epic battles. Um, you know, the two kind of latecomers, former latecomers to the Big 12, um, you know, the the two kind of outsiders coming in developed quite a good rivalry um, in the early goings on, on both the football field and the basketball court. Um, is this one of those games where you look at it, it's a night game, TC is going to, you know, be in the all black uniforms, they're blacking out the stadium, it should be a pretty raucous environment out there. Is there any way that you see West Virginia being able to come in? I think it's, I've seen the spread at almost double digits or just past double digits. Is this a winnable game for the Mountaineers or is this one where you're kind of just, just expecting to see them hopefully continue on an upward trend, maybe work on some things um, or, or do you want to see them come into Fort Worth and and think that they can win? TC's not a world beater yeah. by any stretch. I don't want to get that, you know, get that. that yeah, effect. no, no, I know. Where, and and when I, I'll be, I'll be honest. I was pretty surprised at the line. Um, yeah, it's a little high. I like what I've seen of TCU didn't convince me that they were that much better than us. I think the numbers play into that. Your offense is way better offensively than, than we are. Yeah. I think that plays into it. Um, I think WV can win that game. I, I don't see, I think that it, it's, it's not going to be easy, but I think if, if the defense can, can make, you know, enough plays to slow TCU down, um, you know, maybe get a turnover, get some, you know, which they've been, that's been another difference is the secondary actually getting turnovers um, and, and us WVU cashing in on them. They, they were bad about that last year, about the defense would finally bail them out and then they wouldn't do anything with it. Um, so I think that's going to be big. I, the turnover battle, I think, is really interesting. Can W limit its own mistakes? You know, and coming out, often stay out of its own way and and get enough points. Um, I think, you know, I think if it gets above 25 or so points in either direct, you know, either team, I don't think W is going to win a shootout. So I think you've got to keep the score kind of low, uh, keep time of possession up. I think, you know, taking what they did against TCU and doing that against, uh, you know, 
or not TCU, Texas Tech and doing that against TCU. I think that's the, the blueprint. But I also don't think, you know, if as long as they don't just go get absolutely, you know, plastered by TCU, um, like say they did against Texas Tech last year at a kind of key point, or um, I think against Baylor a couple years ago in a similar place, or even last uh, year before last against Baylor. Uh, I think, you know, if they can keep it close, make it make a good show that everybody will be pretty happy because you look at down, you look at the next two games, um, you've got a, a, a game against Dana Hogerson on the road in Houston mm-hmm. that seems like it should be winnable. Uh, yeah. But that for, for vibes purposes, losing to Dana in a year in which Houston is not good would be. I have often thought that I think that's the game that'll ultimately make up the minds of the the administration, just because. Like, it's some, and honestly, if you can't beat Houston right now, yeah, I, or how are you going to beat anybody else on your schedule other than maybe Oklahoma State? But that's who you get after Houston. So theoretically, you can go into Central Florida at five and two, or six and one. And if you're six and one, you're probably ranked for the first time under Neil. So, you know, I think the, the the opportunity is there for them. I think that they can beat TCU. I think they can probably, you know, pull that, pull something out of their hat. But I don't think they have to, and I don't necessarily think they will. I think my thought is like 27-21 or something, you know, something along those lines. But, um, you know, I think they definitely can. I, like I said, I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen anything about either team that makes me think that one of them is, you know, markedly better than the other I think that they have different strengths and weaknesses if you look back Saturday night at you know midnight or so eastern or 1 a.m Sunday morning when this game is over if West Virginia won what happened to make the difference if West Virginia lost what what went wrong that made the difference in the game yeah so I think you know like I said I think if WVU has won that game uh, it, it's because they they were able to do enough on defense to slow TCU down, and they made enough plays on offense to stay you know to stay ahead, and they were able to control it. I think if they lost, the secondary the secondary probably was asked to do too much. I think that's that was the problem a lot of times last year with a team that was quite honestly at a similar level for WVU talent wise, uh, better wide receiver room. But often what would happen last year and what I think will happen this year and what almost happened against Texas Tech is that the defense just kept being asked to bail the, to, to bail the team out and they're not, they're not that good. So the offense has to produce and the offense just wouldn't have produced you know, enough points taking care of the ball or, or you know, got a crucial first down in the fourth quarter. I could definitely see it coming down to WVU has a late lead and uh, – isn't able to, to, you know, hold onto the ball long enough and gives the ball back to TCU and the defense just can't, the, we've rolled the dice one too many times uh, yeah. on, on letting the defense try and try and spare us. <laughs> so that's, that's what I would imagine anyway. 
it's definitely going to be an interesting one. And, you know, night games in the Big 12 are always can always kind of go either way. I'm, I'm excited for this one. I think it'll be fun to watch. Um, what I really want to see is is what TCU's defense is able to do um, against a, another struggling offensive unit and, and what this offense can do against, you know, inarguably the best defense that they've played so far. Um, how that offensive line holds up against the West Virginia pass rush. And if Chandler can continue to make good decisions um, in the secondary, he had his first game without a turnover. Um, this past weekend uh, against SMU, but the competition level and defensive level certainly steps up Saturday night. Um, Andy, before I let you go, uh, tell people where they could find you and your work. Yeah, so I, I will often be on Twitter, uh, for, or I will always just call it Twitter. I yes, not, it is Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at StatsBoyAndy with an I. Um, you can find me there and you will occasionally see me. You'll actually probably see me sometime next week with our first uh, bowl watch post uh, for smoking musket. I do stuff. Uh, and I mostly, mostly will post about basketball. So that's where a lot of my writing and stuff will be. And I'm super excited about basketball and uh, always excited for the Jamie Dixon bowl. So yes. Yeah. It, it'll be, I'll be, definitely be looking forward to seeing what this new version of West Virginia basketball looks like. And we know that though Jamie Dixon has been a horn frog for many years now, he's always an eat, you know what, pit. Uh, guide in the hearts of West Virginia fans so we'll, we'll definitely <laughs> we'll definitely have to talk uh talk some hoops here when when that season gets rolling um I am I am just bemoaning the loss of the the home and home round robin schedule in the big 12 that is the only bummer thing about this expansion um because because getting to see West Virginia every year getting to see Kansas every year then having to play in place places like uh like Morgantown or or I mean, nothing gets you more tournament ready than than those types of environments. So I'm bummed about that, but it'll it'll be fun to to welcome in some new teams. And the worst, hardest conference in the land just got a little bit tougher too, out in Houston. So should be a fun one. Uh, Andy, really appreciate you taking some time, um, despite the the internet issues and things up against you. Um, really uh, appreciate you previewing West Virginia for us on Frogs Insider on the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football Network. All right, thank you, thank you, thank you to Melissa and the Smoking Musket for previewing TCU West Virginia. I'm very much looking forward to this game, 7 p.m. on Saturday night. I'm expecting a completely packed house for this game at Amon G. Carter. It's the blackout game. The unis look so clean. It's probably my favorite TCU helmet going right now is the black chrome helmet with the silver massive horn frog logo on the side. It's just, it looks so, so stinking good. Um very excited about that game. Very much looking forward to it. Um, but there are three other games, too, that I am very much looking forward to uh, on the weekend slate. And um, I'll tell you why I'm looking forward to them. And no, one of them isn't USC Colorado. I won't be watching that football game. Maybe. I, I don't know. If I bet on that football game, I might watch that football game. But... There are three games that I am very much interested in. And if you've looked at the schedule and you know my background, you're going to know what one of them is right out of the gate. But the first one that I'm very excited about is on a Friday night, 8 p.m., Fox Sports 1. And it's Utah traveling to Oregon State. Uh, Part of the reason that I'm interested in this game is because obviously Utah is an incoming Big 12 member next season and Oregon State is not very much not in a way that's probably pretty detrimental to their university. Uh, their the oh, the Oregon State 
university president came out on, I think it was either Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, and talked about the projections for their athletics budget moving forward as they're predicting up to a 44% reduction in their athletics revenue once all of this ne- this latest round of realignment shakes out, um, which is heartbreaking because I think Oregon State has an incredibly passionate fan base. Their football team has been pretty successful on the field as of late. They've got a baseball team that is historically very good as well. Um, and part of the byproduct of all of this conference realignment, and in this case, loss of, of revenue, is going to impact real people real working people who, who are at that university who will probably lose their job unless Oregon State finds a way to make up some of that money. Um, so I'm interested in those dynamics playing out on the football field. Oregon State's coming off of that loss to Washington State in what was a wild game where they were favored going into Pullman and ended up losing that one. And uh, I'm interested to see if Utah can stay undefeated. They've had a couple close calls. They needed a last-second touchdown in regulation and maybe getting away with pass interference against Baylor to win in Waco, a very bad Baylor team. Um, they haven't had Cam Rising yet this year. They beat up on a Florida team that went out and beat Tennessee a couple weeks ago. Just a very interesting Utah team to me facing what's going to be a very fired-up Oregon State football team. I, I'm going to be keeping an eye on Oregon State and Washington State as they make their way through the Pac-12 this year because I just think that storyline's really, really intriguing. So that's one of the games that I'm watching. The next game that I'm watching... Saturday, 11 o'clock, SEC Network, Texas A&M and Arkansas. I was very impressed with Arkansas in their loss to LSU last week. That game was in Baton Rouge. That was a, a very hard-fought game. That our, our, I think Arkansas was a double-digit underdog in that game, and it ended up needing uh, a last-second field goal from LSU for them to pull away 34-32, to 34-31, something like that. Um, so I'm excited to see what the Razorbacks bring after a, a, a kind of a, a heart-wrenching rivalry loss. Uh, I'm also interested to see what Texas A&M has in the post-Connor uh, Wegman era. He is out with a broken bone in his foot for the rest of the season. That was reported on Wednesday by uh, Texas A&M media outlets. Um, Wegman's down for the season. It's Max, Max Johnson era now at, at Texas A&M. So I'm interested to see how that matchup plays out. Obviously, I'm going to be calling the Hogs that morning. Big Arkansas fan right here. And then the third game that I'm really, really interested in. Do you remember what happened the last time Kansas traveled to Austin, Texas? Do you remember that 57-56 to overtime win for the Jayhawks? Absolutely crazy. That was when the, the narrative was starting to stir around how much longer is Steve Sarkeesian going to be in Austin as the UT head coach, how much longer are they going to let this experiment play out before they move on again to another head coach? Uh, since then, Kansas has only looked better and better, and Texas has only looked better and better. Texas is a, what is it, a 16.5-point favorite in this game. But uh, one of the reasons that I'm really intrigued in this game is actually because of something Sonny Dyke said in his press conference this week when I believe it was Brian Estridge asked him about offenses that you have to start preparing for well in advance. And, and he asked this in the context of, of the academies, right? When, when you've got Army or Navy or Air Force on the schedule, you're going to be working on the triple option starting in fall camp. It doesn't really matter when those teams appear on your schedule. Brian asked Sonny if any schools in the Big 12 
demanded something similar in far as far as uh, preparing ahead and not just getting that work in on game week. And Sonny said Kansas. Um, he, he also noted that TCU doesn't play them this year, but that that was the offense that probably demands uh, that you start preparing more and more for weeks in advance because of some of the wrinkles that they do, some of the things that they present, and, and because of the weapons that they have now. And I thought that was a really interesting answer. It wasn't one that I was expecting. I was expecting like Texas or something. Um, but that makes me more intrigued to watch what Kansas is able to do down in Austin this week uh, with with Texas riding high, undefeated, top five ranking. Everybody's starting to kind of gain some momentum on this. Oh, Texas is probably going to win the Big 12. Are they going to go undefeated? Are they going to make it to the college football playoff? Uh, but Kansas is sitting here at 4-0-2, ranked number 24 in the country. And, and if they could play spoiler again in Austin, that would just be an absolute chef's kiss on Texas's last season in the Big 12. So that's a game that I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to. That's 2-30 on ABC. So those are the three games that I'm looking forward to this week uh, as as college football gets underway. Um, I will I, I will make an admission, though, here at this point in the show. And that is that I won't be at the TC West Virginia game. I have been um, victimized, I guess you could say, by fall weddings. And so I will be at a fall wedding on Saturday, um, location undisclosed. But you better believe that the phone will be out and we will be keeping track. And we might even tweet once or twice. So if you see me tweeting about the football game on Saturday evening, give it a like interact with it a little bit because you know the kind of cost that it is coming at if you see me tweeting because I'll, I'll certainly be hearing it on my end so interact interact with my socials on Saturday night uh, help a brother out um, <clears throat> alright let's jump in to the mailbag though got some really great questions on the site this week uh, and I got a question in the DMs on Twitter earlier this week and I want to want to clarify something because I haven't been asking for questions on socials I've just been asking for questions on hornfrogblitz.com recently and they the, the question was why are you doing why are, why are you only asking for questions from the board and there there are kind of two main reasons for that um paying members on the board I think have earned a little bit of an extra perk at this point um and so that's why I've been limiting asking questions or taking questions from the board. Um, it's an excellent community over there. If you're not a member of it, I would fully, fully recommend joining up. Uh, it's it's a, a absolutely fantastic community of Horn Frog fans um, who run the full spectrum of human beings, and and I love watching watching people interact and engage on that site. So that's part of the reason, is right? Like, hey, I want to provide some incentive to the people who have, who have signed up and paid for for the site and. Also, it's frankly a kind of a load management thing. Like the this, the mailbags were getting pretty long. Um, I don't want this podcast to always be an hour and a half, two hours long. And it was starting to kind of creep in that direction. Um, and I, I, I wanted to make sure that this was still kind of a manageable endeavor every week. So those are, those are kind of the two reasons behind why the mailbag's happening the way it is these days. And with that, we jump in. Raw Frog asks, can you tell us what you know about the fake field goal? I can tell you that it didn't work. Um, and that it was on purpose that they tried it. It wasn't some sort of, oh, botch snap, let's try to see what we can do here. They called a fake field goal on fourth and goal in the SMU game. Jordy Sandy slipped and fell, and the play didn't work. 
that's really it. We can debate whether or not they should have gone for it there, but Sonny addressed it in post game. He addressed it again midweek. That was a decision that they made was to try a fake field goal there from, I believe it was like the seven yard line or something. Um, and it didn't work. And sometimes that happens. Um, there are other red zone issues, I think, at play that kind of exacerbate the fact that the fake field goal didn't work. Um, but we're going to get into that. There are a couple questions later that that I, I can address that in. So that's that's kind of what I know about the fake field goal at this point. TCU Frog 9 asks, in your opinion, what changed after the Colorado game? From the team to the coaches, there seems to have been a shift in mindset since then. I think the shift in mindset was the full realization that hey we gotta we we have to bring our energy and we have to bring our best game plan every single week or we can lose you know i think that there were certain challenges about the colorado game that were very unique to that matchup uh you know the fact that there was no film on this team they had to dig it up from a bunch of different places but that in my opinion isn't necessarily the reason that they lost that football game the reason that they lost that football game is that they came out flat the reason that they lost that football game is that they didn't execute well at times and they didn't make halftime adjustments. That's on the coaching staff as much as it, as it is on the players. There was there were little to no visible defensive adjustments in the second half of that game and it cost them pretty dearly. Um, I mean, it cost them a win, frankly. You, you lose by a field goal and you have two red zone turnovers. You don't make any defensive adjustments and so you've got a, a running back just on a wheel route as free as I've ever seen a person on a football field. Um, in the final five minutes of a game, scoring a long touchdown to reclaim the lead, like that's just stuff that can't happen. And so I think there was a, a little bit of a wake up by the team, coaching staff, and players to say, "Hey, we've 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 got to bring our A game, right? We can't just rest on the fact that we won a college football playoff game last year and expect perceived lesser teams to just roll over. We gotta we gotta go out there and earn our wins." And I, I think that's becoming more and more of a reality for this team week over week. And I think it's part of the reason we've seen them improve every week. TCU Frog 9 also asks, what are you looking for from the offense and defense against West Virginia to quantify continued improvement week over week? This is the question that I was waiting for. I've got to see this team start being better in the red zone on offense. They were just, they scored two touchdowns on five red zone appearances against SMU. They not could have, they should have scored 50 points in that game. The fact that the defense gave them the ball at the 10 and they couldn't come away with points. The fact that they moved the ball inside the 30 at one point and couldn't come away with any points um, just can't continue to happen at the clip that it's currently happening. Sometimes you're going to come away with field goals. That's fine, but you can't come away with zero points. And you've got to be scoring touchdowns more frequently than they are right now. Uh, uh, Parker's EPA stuff is always brilliant work, and I know he's made a couple in-season tweaks that aren't normally what we see from him but i think he's he's really kind of he's he's closing in on something really good but i mean tcu is a top 10 team as far as echel rate goes and if you know anything about parker's data echel rate is the percent of time that you have what's considered a quality drive and a quality drive is any time an offense moves into the opponent's um field of play beyond the 30 yard line. So anytime you're inside the 30 on your opponent's uh, side of the field, that's considered a quality drive. TCU's getting Echol drives together at, I think like a 60 something percent clip, which is top. I, I need to pull it up, um, which is like top 10 in the country, 
but their scoring rate on Echel drives is like in the 40s or 50s in the country, which means that they're getting quality drives all the time, but they're really struggling to turn those quality drives into the points that should come off of those drives. Uh, And that's, I think, pretty much the biggest indictment on this offense so far this season is the fact that they have gotten inside an opponent's 30 and frankly fallen apart at times in ways that we aren't used to this team doing, or at least last year's iteration of this team wasn't doing it. Here, here are the numbers right here. TCU's offense is 63.3% of TCU's offensive drives this year have been considered quality drives by this metric that Parker created, which means that 63% of TCU's drives are getting inside the opponent's 30-yard line. But their points per echo is 69th in the country. They're only averaging 3.84 points on those drives which is a staggeringly low number. It means that more often than not, they're kicking a field goal than scoring a touchdown when they get inside an opponent's 30-yard line. They have to start converting those into more points. They have to. And that will be the biggest sign of continued improvement on offense is the better, the more efficient that they become on uh, in, in the red zone, the more efficient that they become in finishing drives with points. The second half of that is I still don't like where their third down conversion rate is. And some of that is to set up manageable fourth downs or to be able to go for it on fourth down at all. But the best way, the best third down conversion rate is just not being in third down at all. Being more aggressive on first and second down and just avoiding third and fourth down situations altogether because the more that you are in those high leverage, high stress moments, the more it becomes an execution thing as much as it is a play calling thing. And I know Jeremy and I have talked and Melissa and I have talked on this show a lot about some of the play calling in those short third and fourth down situations has been suspect. But the more that you are putting players in those high pressure have to execute situations throughout the game, the more stress that puts on them at the end of the game when they absolutely have to execute even on first and second down. The more that you can avoid some of those high-pressure situations throughout the game, the better this offense is going to be. So not only would I like to see the third down numbers improve, I'd like to see them not be in third down as much. It feels like every single drive they're in third down at least once or twice, and just avoid that. Just just right it's just just don't do it right it's it's easier said than done obviously but those are the two ways i'd like to see the offense continue to improve defensively i think the 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 easiest answer here is more consistent pressure tcu is one of the better sack teams in the country right now they're getting sacks at a pretty impressive rate but the pressure isn't happening very consistently and part of that is still because they're only rushing three at times and they're dropping eight and against a team like smu that loves to put six in protection You're just not going to get pressure that way unless something breaks down for the opponent. And you can't rely on opponent breakdowns to get consistent pressure. They have to find better ways to create pressure and not just wait for their opponent to make a mistake. they got to force some things. And I haven't quite seen that at a consistent level from the defense yet. That's kind of where I want to see them continue to improve. Ultimate Frog asks, should we stop the Bleacher Creatures run and why is it a terrible idea? The Bleacher Creatures are awesome. And whenever... It goes away. If it ever goes away, you better believe I'm going to be criticizing it right here on this podcast. Maximilian asks, what poster wins the Bleacher Creature race? This is easy. It's Howdy. You know it's Howdy. Like, let's not pretend that it's going to be anybody else. That dude's going to be hopped up on something, and he's going to be moving so fast that his overalls are going to catch on fire. It's Howdy. I'm putting, all, I'm putting my mortgage on Howdy winning, winning a, the Bleacher Creature race. Swizzle714 
says, TCU still hasn't had a number one wide receiver emerge yet and have rotated plenty. Who is our, who is or needs to emerge as that guy? Uh, I'd be interested to see how much Dalen Wright gets as far as playing time and, and reps is concerned coming off of the injury that he's been dealing with. Um, Cause he's coming back this week. And so I wonder how that changes the dynamic. If it's not him, it's going to be Jalen Wright or JPR. Those are the two guys that I think have started to separate from a wide receiver position. Um, but if it's not the two of them and it needs to be a big outside body, my, my money at this point is on Dalen Wright. I think we've seen enough inconsistency from Savion. He had two pre-snap penalties again this week. You just can't have those kind of mistakes happening consistently. Um, uh, you know, or, or things like the Houston game for him are going to continue to be the outlier, outlier instead of the norm, which is a little bit disappointing. Uh, so give me Dalen Wright. Um, 40 beers, not four. It says, Jojo, discuss. Not sure if he is pressing or just not who we thought he was. How many more games does he get before Major Everhart takes all his snaps? Well, it's starting to happen. Major, uh, Major Everhart's getting more playing time. He had a couple big big catches on Saturday against SMU, including one on fourth down that kept a drive alive. Uh, he's already kind of making a name for himself on kick returns, too, and uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be much longer before he starts to work his way in. I, I love Jojo. I think he's an electric talent, um, but he, he's, he's got some drop issues. He's got some drop issues. And uh, I know Jeremy's covered it on the Frogcast. The fact that he doesn't run up and catch punts is, is going to continue to challenge TCU's offense, right? If you let the ball hit the ground on punts, you're giving up yards. And that was one of the things that Darius Davis was so good at was getting up there and at least fair catching the ball and not letting it roll. Um, so that's, that's kind of where we are with Jojo right now. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I would be, I wouldn't be totally shocked if, if major continues to get more playing time, because I think at this point he's earned it army frog fan Cordell Russell reps and targets coming soon. Is he being eased after the injury? I think it's less injury, more log jam. And I think there are some challenges with Cordell right now, as far as processing the playbook and processing calls on the field. We've seen him get some reps in the last couple of weeks, which is good. He's out there on the field a couple of times. He had a really good block on DJ Allen's one catch of the, of the day against SMU. Um, but I, I still think he's just learning, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes guys take a minute to, to learn. It's, it's a complex game. It's a complex game at this level, and he's a true freshman right now. Um, so, and, and, you know, for all of you who are expecting so much from a, from a four-star receiver, go, go look at Josh Stockson's first year in college. Look at his stats. Look at Quentin Johnson's first year in college. Look at his stats, right? Like, I think it's unreasonable to expect a, a true freshman, even if a, a highly rated one, to come in and just dominate the game right away. That's not the, that's not the norm, right? And we see this with quarterbacks all the time, too. I'm not going to go on too much of a tangent here, but we see this, right? Like, everybody expects their true freshman quarterback now to be Johnny Manziel or, or Trevor Lawrence. That's not normal. Those guys were exceptions to the rule, not the rule itself. And the same thing's with Cordell here. I'm not concerned about Cordell in the slightest. Not in the slightest. Potlicker. The focus is obviously on Chandler, but how is Hoover progressing? I think he's doing well. I mean, he's, he didn't turn the ball over in his one snap against SMU, so that's an improvement. Uh, he looked great in fall camp. He was throwing the ball well. He was accurate. He was moving well in the pocket, um, which is not his comfort zone. So I think he's growing. I think he's developing. Um, 
But I also think that, you know, he's, he's pretty significantly behind Chandler right now, which is not anything new or, or groundbreaking to, to hear. Um, Potlicker also asks, do you see ba- battle stepping up and do you see any three, four defensive alignment? Okay. To the first part, battle should have had a touchdown on Saturday. I covered this in the recap. Chandler missed him on a wide open throw. It's probably the best play design I've seen from Kendall Bryles so far this year. And it absolutely cooked SMU secondary. Trent Battle was as wide open as I've seen a TCU receiver this year. Kendler just couldn't quite get in the ball. Or he would have he would have had six. I do can I do think that we're going to continue to see Battle get more snaps. We saw Corey Wren get some snaps too. Um in, in this game on Saturday. And I, I think part of the challenge is not only at this point, who's going to step up and be the true running back too, but also you're getting more from Imani Bailey than I think anybody ever anticipated. And so how much does him being a legit feature back play into who's getting those, those other snaps and, and how many snaps are even available for those guys to split? Uh, do you see any three, four defensive alignment? No, you're not going to change. You're not going to change schemes in the middle of the season. It's not as, it's not just as simple as throwing a linebacker onto the field and pulling a safety off. There have to be assigned responsibilities that go with that change. And it impacts all 11 guys on the field, not just the one dude who's going out there. Um, everybody's assignment changes if you move a fourth, a fourth linebacker onto the field and, to, and take a safety off. And that's just not a, and that's just not a realistic expectation for in the middle of the season. Hyperfrog. The line sees, seems way too high for this game. Would you put the line at? What would you put the line at and why? It's currently like 12 and a half, I think, 11 and a half. I've seen it a couple, a couple different places around there. Um, I think that's actually pretty accurate at this point. West Virginia's offense is not very good. It's just not. Their defense is solid, um, but they haven't been challenged much past the Penn State game, and I think Penn State put like 35 on them. Right, they're very sound at tackling. I know that much. They've got really talented dudes at all three levels of that defense, but this is probably going to be the best offense that they've encountered at this point. And I like the improvement that I've seen from TCU's defense enough to be fairly confident in, in what they're going to present to to West Virginia on Saturday night. So I think the line's actually pr- pretty close to accurate. I and I'm I'm thinking about it. I'll just say that I'm thinking about it. Frog Frog asks. Can you speak to the wide receiver rotations we saw versus the ponies? Looks like players may have been swapping roles or at least sides of the field. Was that availability driven or CMK trying to shake things up? Um, Also, can you clarify if the X is mostly always split wide left with Z to the right, or is it flipped based on field and boundary at times? It is flipped based on field and boundary at times. Um, So that's probably where you're seeing some of the guys lined up on opposite sides of the field. Um, as for the rotations, you got to remember that that D- Dalen Wright and Jack Besh weren't available, um, so that changes some things. And also, you saw more Jalen Robinson because Jalen Robinson has been the more consistent player. You saw more uh, Major Everhart because he's kind of working his way into the rotation more. And so part of the rotations that you're seeing now is less, hey, we're find, trying to find a guy-based and more, hey, these are the guys that are starting to step up, right? So while we don't have that number one guy, that alpha guy yet, I think you're starting to see the coaching staff realize these are the bigger contributors. These are the guys that Chandler can trust a little bit more, and that's why the rotations are starting to change a little bit. And I I fully expect to see a whole different rotation now that Dalen Wright and and, uh, Jack Besh are going to be back in for for this game against West Virginia because they're both going to be available. So 
I still don't think they're they're quite there yet. It was really cool to see, and I know that, that Frog Frog, you mentioned this in, in your question, um, Blake Nowell getting more playing time. Sonny went out of his way post-game to talk about Blake Nowell, said that he's earned the right to be on the field more. Um, and so that's an interesting development as well. Um, but the, the snap's got to come from somebody, right? And so we're still in that process of, of the hierarchy being determined. And But I, but I think it's, it's closer to shaking out than, than it may seem when you're just watching the games. Frog Frog also asks, we're now a third of the way through the season and key players are entrenching themselves on offense. He mentions Chandler, Imani, Jared Wiley, and JPR. And on defense, Namdi, Hodge, Banks, Fig, uh, and Dylan. No, DW. Who is DW? Oh, God. Oh, Don Williams. Duh, I'm an idiot. Pick a name or two from each side of the ball that we've not seen headline yet, uh, but that you think will emerge and become key contributors over the back two thirds of the season. Um, from an offensive perspective, I really truly think that uh, Dalen Wright has the potential to be that dude. I do. I think he's just an athletic freak. Um, so he's one, and. Uh, this might be cheating a little bit, but I didn't mention it in the improvement question. The offensive line has to start playing better. And I really, I, that to me, that starts with your center, right? Alana Lee was the stabilizing factor on that offensive line last year as for as talented as Steve Avila was for as consistent as Wes Harris was Alana Lee was the thing that made that thing tick. And so I, I want to see, John Lands start to step up into that a little bit more. I know that he doesn't have nearly the level of experience that Ali did, but now's the time to start growing. And the the faster that he does it, I think the faster the whole offensive line starts to, to improve. Um, so those are the two guys on offense are Dalen Wright and John Lands. Um, but really the whole offensive line. Defensively, um, I'm really excited. They've been giving Jamel Johnson more reps at safety, and that's not... Um, I don't think that was an expectation coming into the season that that was going to be the case, but he's playing pretty well and safety is a tough thing to play in this defense. So the fact that he's out there, the fact that he was out there in some critical moments on Saturday is not something to be overlooked. So he's a guy that could absolutely kind of break his way onto the scene. Um, Man, I mean, you named every starting linebacker at this point. Uh, I'm also interested to see, who else along that defensive line? Uh, give me Paulo Wale, man. I, they got to have a defensive edge presence that, that can consistently get to the quarterback three, four, five times a game and just disrupt things, right? They haven't had that from a single guy this year. Um, they need a disruptor on the edge. And, and right now, I think it's got to be Oye Wale. Um, Raw Frog asks, what are you wanting to share but nobody has asked? That's a really good question. I was at a basketball practice the other day and I texted Melissa about this in the moment. I am very excited to see what Ernest Uday can do for this front court this year. I'm very excited about this dude. He is an athlete at like just a capital A athlete. And I think he's going to present a very different look to TCU's front court this year alongside 
Mustafa and Cork, and then you've got Coles and, and, and E-Man in the mix. You've got some really athletic wings in Chuck O'Bannon and Micah Peavy, but I, I truly believe that Ernest Uday is going to take TCU's rebounding to another level this year. I think he's going to take their defensive presence to another level this year, and I think he's probably the best scoring center they've had at TCU since probably Brodzianski. And I think we're going to see that play out this year. Um, I'm also super, super pumped to see how many minutes Chase Posey can work his way into because that kid is a freak athlete as well. I've never seen someone with a better jumping, leaping ability than Chase Posey. Um, and so I think we're going to see a good amount of him in non-conference. Um, and I think that, you know, I mentioned this on the site a while back. They don't, they haven't used their 13th scholarship. They didn't go out into the portal and get a fourth guard. And Jace Posey is the reason why they did that. They had some hope for him at that point, And now he's, he's affirming their decision right now in practice. I can just, I can tell you that he's affirming their decision to not go out and get another guard in the portal. Um, so I'm interested to see how that plays out when the game start, start happening. So that's what I wanted to share. Thanks Raw. Cowtown Hero, why has Corey Wren not seen more action from what I saw on Saturday? He should definitely be getting touches. He showed great speed on the edge. He did do that. He showed some really good speed on the edge. He's one of the fastest guys on the football team. And it kind of goes back, though, to what I was saying earlier about Bailey being the feature guy. You know, when you are when you have a legitimate feature back who you want to get that 17 to 23 touches a game in the backfield, that, all, that automatically reduces the number of, of snaps that you have to give out to backups. We know that Trey Sanders is going to get his. And so then you've got Corey Wren. You've got Trent Battle at some point, maybe Cam Cook, fighting for those other scraps. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how all of that shakes out moving forward. Knowing group of 20 asks, or he kind of rephrases the question, can, can any other running backs block and catch like Bailey? I haven't seen it yet. I just haven't seen it yet. I think that Trent Battle has the most potential when it comes to pass catching. Um, just because we saw it so much last year on that damn wheel route. Just every time he was out there, he was running a wheel route, and half the time Max was throwing him the ball. Um, I think I think Trent Battle has some real potential there. Got to remember, too, with Trent, he's a converted quarterback, right? He, he played quarterback in high school, and they're still working out some of the rust to to get him in fully embedded as a running back. You know, we had a chance to talk to Shad Banks in midweek this week, and someone asked him, are you finally fully comfortable playing linebacker? And he was like, yeah, but it took him a while, right? Like he converted to linebacker two and a half years ago. And now he's starting to feel fully confident at linebacker. He gave a lot of credit to Joe Gillespie for why he feels so confident playing linebacker now and why he feels like he is truly a linebacker and not a wide receiver playing linebacker. I think we're still seeing Trent Battle go through that same process on, on the move from, from quarterback to running back. Um, there was another question that happened on the board that I didn't put on my sheet. Let me go pull it up really quickly. Um, ba 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 We're vamping, we're vamping, we're vamping, we're vamping, we're vamping. Let's see here. It was another one from Frog Frog. Here we go. So the realignment carousel looks like it is cranked back up today. That's true. Uh, for those that maybe missed it or aren't on the site, um, Clemson is being really public about some stuff or not Clemson reporters who have Clemson connections are being vocal about Clemson's intent to leave quote sooner rather than later. One person said something could happen in October. October is like three days away at this point. So who knows when that's going to happen? Frog frog asks, what date would you or Vegas set as the over under for the next major announcement? What does your realignment current crystal ball say? Ah, uh, God over under. 
Okay. I think something happens as far as an announcement goes before the end of October. That's all I'm going to say about that. And then what does your current realignment crystal ball say? I mean, there's still a ton. There's so much more that hasn't happened yet, guys. There's so much more. Um, if you're on the board, this is a good reason to subscribe to the board. That's all. That, that's what I'm going to say. This is a really, really good reason to subscribe to the board because I think there's going to be some stuff happening behind that paywall that that maybe doesn't need to be fully public information, but we can start to talk about some stuff. Um, TCU's in really good shape, guys. TCU's in really good shape. Um, and the ACC as a whole is not. That's what my realignment crystal ball is saying right now. TCU's in good shape and the ACC isn't. And that's a real shame for the team on the other side of the Metroplex. It's a real crying shame. That's going to do it, though, for this episode of Frogs Insider. Thank you, as always, for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe, leave a rating or a review. And if you haven't yet, please, please, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. We're posting press conferences there. We, I've got some plans in the works for YouTube. I do. Some live show stuff, some live Q&A stuff. But I'm not going to do it if there's not an interest in the YouTube channel. So go subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's free. All you got to do is click a button, right? No, no cost associated. So go click that button. Leave a comment on this video. Like some of the other videos. Show me that there's interest there. And we'll start to ramp up the YouTube content a little bit. Because I have some plans. I just don't know if it's quite worth the time and effort yet. Show me that it's worth the time and effort with, with the subscribe button. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you to Hell's Half Acre and Home Field Apparel for sponsoring the show. And we'll catch you next time. Go Frogs.